Welcome back to another episode of the Fix Your Plate podcast on the Eat, Drink, and Dine Network. My name is Anella Malik. You can find me online everywhere under the name Feed the Malik. I'm here with my co-host, KJ Kearney. You can find him at Black Food Fridays, and we are so excited for today's episode. We're going to try to keep it, keep this one short and tight, but this is a very important conversation. So today, we're going to be talking to you about how sometimes we are not rooting for everybody Black. And I think this conversation is long overdue given the pressure in our pop culture as Black creatives, as Black people to always show up and always show out and always be rooting for everyone Black. And we want to, but sometimes that's not possible. KJ? You know, you're absolutely right. And uh, for a little bit of context on this, me and Anella talk about a lot of things all the time, but it really came to head recently with this documentary that every single person I know has been sending me a link to. Have you seen High on the Hog? Have you seen High on the Hog? And so I definitely went into it anticipating that I would like it, just given the subject matter. Um, but I'm not going to lie, bro. I watched it and I was kind of underwhelmed. And what made this, I guess, an important realization for me was that I did not want to give my opinion in public. Like I did not want to publicly say, eh, I'm not really feeling this, you know, because I'm, I'm black and I'm in the food space. So we don't get a lot of things in the black food space that aren't just straight up cooking shows. And so for someone to try something so ambitious and me just not connecting with the material at all, I really felt self-conscious. Like, I can't say anything in public about this. So I brought it to Anella and then Anella watched it and we kind of had the same thought. And that led us to this conversation of just in general, like, are we ready as a cult, as a culture, as a black society, as a diaspora to start openly criticizing each other? Cause I think there's a way to do it without being nasty, right. Without being disrespectful, but who are our black Siskel and Eberts? Right. Like who, who are the black people who are given permission to openly love and critique or chastise their people? It doesn't seem like we have reached that part in our culture where we're allowed to do so. And so that's kind of where this conversation came from. But that, that I mean, that's how I feel. What, what, what were you thinking? OK, so let's start at the beginning, because you said a lot there and. I think it's important to situate this conversation within our current moment and within pop culture, right? So who I think it was Issa Rae in 2017 at an award show said, when they asked who she's rooting for, she said, I'm rooting for everybody black. And that became like a moment, right? It became a yeah. cultural icon. It was on t-shirts. I'm sure you can still buy mugs. It's been retweeted 10,000 million times. And it really resonated with a lot of people. And I think specifically because in the creative space in particular, we don't see a lot of black stars. We don't see a lot of black people getting their own shows. You know, they're not in the food space necessarily winning uh, James Beard Awards or Michelin stars or those things. And so there's this sense that we got to stick together. And I do agree with that. I think that's very true. And, you know, now we're in 2021. We're recording this in June. Juneteenth is around the corner. 
Last year, we saw this groundswell of support for Black everything after yet another series of tragic murders that played out so publicly on screen, right? So I do feel a pressure as a Black creative to show up for everyone Black. And, and it, it happens in subtle and not so subtle ways. For example, there are a few restaurants that are Black-owned in D.C. that I have not shared about because, frankly, I, I didn't have a good experience. And I don't want to lie to people, but I, I don't want to dog them either. So I just don't share about it because I haven't had a good experience there. And I will get people pinging me over and over and over again that I need to share about this place. And when I say, you know, I'm not going to share about that place, they get really upset with me. Um, and this is usually in private conversations, but they've gotten really upset like, oh, I thought you were here to support Black-owned businesses. And I'm like, yeah, but I frankly cannot show up for everyone all the time. Right, right. And you don't want me to post about this place because I'm not going to lie to people. Right. And, you know, that's a minor thing, like me sharing about a restaurant. But on a broader scale, I have definitely hesitated and I still hesitate to critique other Black folks in public um, to to say, hey, I didn't really like this for X, Y, Z reason. Why? Not because I don't think the the person, the creator, the writer, the, you know, whoever can't handle it. I know that they can. I know they've been critiqued their whole lives. But I know that it's so rare in our society still for those people to be allowed to have a platform. And so when that happens, even if I don't like how they're, you know, their art came out or it doesn't speak to me, so to say, I'm really hesitant to be one of the ones who's like, let me critique their platform publicly. Right. So let me ask you then, um, what if you had to pinpoint, like why in particular for you, you, you know, this has been a bridge that you don't want to cross. And let me be specific when I say bridge, you don't want to cross the bridge in which I'm talking about is the bridge of openly critiquing the art or work of another black creative. Oh, how, why have you been hesitant to do that, to take those steps? Well, like I said, I think that representation matters. And since our representation is so rare, I don't wanna be one to jeopardize that first and foremost. And my platform is small, but I do have a platform. So I am extremely conscientious about that. In addition, I just feel like maybe if more Black stories were told, maybe if we had more space, if we had a louder megaphone, there would be room for some of us to just not always have Grammy-nominated grade A work, you know? Maybe there would be room for us to make great movies and crappy movies and <laughs> uh, great music and not so great music. But yeah, there's yeah. not. I feel like there's still not that much space. Uh, yeah not because we're in competition with each other, but because that space hasn't been offered to us. So it's hard, you know, it's really hard. And I will, I will say, I've only seen the first episode of High on the Hog. I haven't seen the rest of it. And I'm hoping that the rest of it speaks to me more than the first episode. And I'll leave it at that because I really respect the people who are in it. I really respect, you know, uh, Dr. Jessica Harris, who has done incredible work. I have all of her books. I've read all of them. But I don't necessarily feel like the first episode episode spoke to me or really engaged me in uh, a way that I wanted it to. Right. But maybe it's not for me also, right? I'm right. of a different generation for sure. I'm much younger. I grew up in a household where 
the ties between black food and American food were just normal and clear because that's how <laughs> the black contributions to everything were clearly elucidated in my household with my father. Right. Um, and so, you know, I'm hopeful that I can watch the next three episodes and be enthralled, but I'm not sure if that's going to happen. And and here's, here's the thing that I want to add. This conversation about rooting for everyone black, I think it is great because everything you said, I agree with. So there's no need to rehash. Long story short, ain't enough black stuff going around for us to be overly critical. Full stop. However, I think what we have lacked since Issa Rae said those famous words is an opportunity to add nuance to this conversation, right? Because there are some things that are black that are trash, right? There are some things that are black that are excellent in terms of how it was done, but it might not be for you, Anella, or it might not be for me, KJ. It doesn't mean that it wasn't well done. doesn't mean that there isn't room for it. It just means that it ain't for me. Um, we haven't gotten to that place because I don't think, at least in this conversation, we've allowed for that nuance to take place where someone can say, hey, I respect that this person was able to make this thing or get this thing accomplished. However, that's not my ministry, or as they say in, in yoga, that's not my practice, right? We're not there yet. And so, you know, I have a homeboy, he's a he's a PR professional, and I've gotten, or let me, I haven't gotten into it with some black celebrities from South Carolina, but a couple black celebrities have been upset with me because I am the person that is willing to go online, or up until this point, I've been willing to go online and say, yeah, I don't like that, or yeah, I don't think that was that good. You know what I mean? In my mind, I'm saying it and the, but do your thing, get your money. All that is implied in my brain, right? But I guess if you don't say that expressly, then people take it as if you are 100% against them, seeing as your your statement wasn't 100% for them. And so that's something that I'm learning how to do. I'm I'm going to still say, I don't care for that. But I'm doing a better job now that eyes are on me to say, I don't care for that. This is specifically specifically why. But also, if they're redeeming qualities, I'm going to mention those redeeming qualities, too. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that that's a really balanced approach. I will add another layer of nuance in here that I love to harp on. And I know I have brought it up in other episodes. But I also feel like you have more space to be openly critical because you're a man. And if I don't say something is outstanding, people get upset with me. And I've had, for example, I've gone to restaurants that serve similar food and I liked both of them and they were both good. You know, it's not like I went one after the other, but they both somehow made it on Feed the Malik. They were both really good. They're different vibes. They offered, you know, different takes on the same dish, et cetera. And I've had one of the restaurants message me to be like, well, the words you used about my restaurant weren't as positive as the words you used about the other. And I'm like, I liked both. And and you're not even trying to do the same thing. The vibe is different. You have clearly have a different path. Like I know you both draw from the same heritage, et cetera. But even that, I will have people trying to come correct me because I don't think in our culture, we allow women to say that they didn't like something or even to be anything but bubbly, positive, 
loving and supportive. And if you don't show up as all of those things, then you are the problem child, right? You are difficult, angry, bitchy, etc. And so that I am also navigating where even if I'm positive, people will say that I'm not positive enough. Yeah, um we can be frank. You're a hater is what they're thinking if they're not saying it all right, you know. They're thinking you're a hater. And you're right. I would I I don't have any scientific proof obviously, but I do attribute me being a man to why I receive way less online hate, online online trolling, uh, vitriol in any sense when I give opinions or or make a post or anything like that. Lord knows, no one t- you know corrects me on my weight or tries to tell me what I should or should not be eating or or anything like like you and other women who I know that are in this food space you know have to deal with. But you know, I guess the overall tenor that I want to give for this, because we're not going to solve this problem today, but the overall tenor that I want to make sure that everybody who's listening understands is that if you are black and you have an opinion, are we at the place in the diaspora where I can just go on and just rip people? I.E. What was dude's name? Perez Hilton. You know what I mean? Remember him when he was like at the top of the blog food chain he would just go online and just rip people a new one. I, I don't think that we have reached that. <laughs> we haven't gotten there as a, a society. And truthfully, I hope we never get there where people are just our people are just openly willing to bust someone's head open online for clicks and likes. However, I do think we are at the point, And this is something that we're not giving ourselves enough credit for. I do think we are at the point to be critical of things of each other. So long as it's done with respect, right? Like if you stick to the G code, you can disagree with me. Like, I don't mind being corrected. I don't mind if somebody goes on my blog or someone goes on my Instagram and says, hey, I think you could have worded this better or you forgot this or whatever the case may be. So long as they do it with respect, you know what I mean? Like coming at me sideways might get you cursed out. But outside of that, like I'm a, I'm not above correction. I don't think any of us should be above correction, but we can't. You know, and I think here's the real problem. The problem is we'll never be able to create that perfect piece of art because everyone's just going to be afraid that if they don't, if they're not making the exact thing that the black culture wants, it's not going to get love. And then you got the culture thinking, if I don't 100% support this thing, no one's going to 100% support me when I do my thing. And so how far can we push the envelope if no one's willing to step out on faith and just be their authentic self when it comes to critiquing each other. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. We're not there. I don't I don't ever want to get there where we're just ripping each other on the internet, but I I would love to get to a place where there is room for critique and disagreement that's respectful. On that note. So, I <laughs> Oh, I have some thoughts. Um I sent this to you today, KJ. There is a quote unquote restaurant in a museum in Atlanta. And I don't know how to describe it. It is a project that, how would you describe it, KJ? Trash. (laughs) Stop. See, that's not nuanced, KJ. No, it's not nuanced. But let me give you all a little bit of background. So there is, and first of all, let me just say that was a little bit of hyperbole, but- I don't I don't agree with 
the the first couple images that I've been getting of this concept. So to Anella's point, there is this museum slash exhibit slash restaurant in Atlanta called the Bando. And so for those of our listeners who are not familiar with the hip hop lingo, a bando is short for an abandoned house or an abandoned building. Why is that important? Because the Migos made it popular to trap out the bando, a.k.a. sell illegal illegal drugs out of abandoned homes. Right. I mean, they didn't make it popular. People have been trapping out the bando for a long time. They just made a song about it. And then that became a phrase that everyone started using. So now there is this quote unquote bando that people are trapping art and food out of. And my favorite part of the whole experience is the is it the crackhead chicken wings? What is it? It's like the crack wings or something like that. I don't know. It's something about crack and wings. It's too much. What What is it called? Okay, so I think they're on the menu as crack wings, and it looks like a powdered sugar dusting to me. But what's interesting about this concept is it's called the bando, if anyone wants to look it up. So the imagery, the kind of commercial that's been played over and over and over again is you know, uh, a staged house that has crushed like beer cans. It looks like, you know, there's cigarettes, there's trash. um, And there's a lot of kind of hip hop memorabilia uh, interwoven with it. And it was tweeted out as, you know, this is a, a take on a representation of Black culture. And it has garnered a lot of criticism from within the Black community because a lot of people rightfully so are like, that's not Black culture. You know, not all of Black culture can be embodied in what is a stereotypical representation of a small slice of a, um, a subculture, really. But beyond that, I just thought it was starting a really interesting conversation because we don't often criticize each other like this online. Like it is rare, I would say, for Black people to weigh in like this publicly, except in cases where it's clear that people feel like Black culture is being disrespected, which is the commentary on this kind of concept right now. But what I would like to see and what I know KJ would also like to see is that maybe we could get to a point where we're able to openly critique each other, even when it's not in defense of all of black culture. <laughs> even yes. when it's to say like, I didn't like this particular exhibit because, you know, I think X could have been done differently. Y could have been done differently, but why is it only acceptable when we're defending the entirety of the culture? I'm still not there yet, though. So I'll say that honestly, I'm not there yet. And I'm not to a point where I feel comfortable criticizing other people who I know are trailblazers, who I know have have uh, likely paved the path for me, right, for me to do the work that I'm doing now for me to be writing the book that I'm reading now. So maybe we'll be there in a generation. But given the issues we have with equity and representation in our society, maybe we won't be. And so all right. I I don't want to leave the bando thing yet because I want people to understand just how stupid this thing is. In my opinion, I think it's stupid. Okay, so the description that was sent to me was that the bando is a restaurant that is designed to show the artistic, cultural and scholarly excellence of black culture through the vessel of an abandoned house. That sounds like PR 
spin doctoring in the highest order. How? An abandoned trap house vibe that's supposed to give you cultural and scholarly excellence is beyond me. And then, and here's the thing that really is crazy about it, right? The video, like the commercial, is really good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's extremely high production value, extremely high production value. But then it's in West Side Atlanta, right? You mean to tell me you couldn't find any musical artist from the West Side of Atlanta or Atlanta, period? So, like, the music for this very well done commercial is like Biggie Smalls and some other New York music. And I'm like, I'm like, the whole thing was just a miss on so many levels. But there were some things that is done well. Like, to be real, the curation of this abandoned house is pretty good. I've been to some bandos. This looks like a bando, right? I mean, it looks like a high art version of bando, but it still looks like a bando. They nailed it, right? Like, the look, the aesthetic, nailed it. Uh, the graffiti... But then also Everything. what you said about not showcasing Atlanta artists at all, I thought was interesting because even the visual imagery, let alone the song playing in the video, the visual imagery, there's magazines of Little Kim, there are, there's memorabilia of Jay-Z, DMX, yeah. and others. It's really kind of like trying to speak to, at least from a visual standpoint, this entirety of hip hop culture. Um, but again, just totally misses the mark as far as the misses the mark. Yeah. And like, why are you in West side Atlanta in a bando using the phrase bando, which was popularized in Atlanta and showing all this New York stuff. This lets me know that whoever put this together is not from Atlanta. There's no way whoever made this is from Atlanta. And if, if they we might are, be, it, mm, might be. Might you know, be. they might be, there's a 50, 50, right. There's a 50% chance that they could be because there's only two options. Either you're from Atlanta or you're not from Atlanta. So there's only two options. Here's my issue with the bando and my issue with some of the stereotypes that we as black people have embraced about blackness and what it means to be black Americans is that, wow, I, I acknowledge and I understand how important our foundational story is to our culture, right? What right. we overcame through the transatlantic slave trade and the great passage and generations of being separated from our family members and turning all of that into what now fuels American pop culture. I really, really cringe when I see this embrace or this kind of portrayal of blackness as only being rooted in struggle, as only being rooted in desperation, in mm -hmm. doing what you got to do, in chasing the bag, in, you know, this kind of like <laughs> myth about Blackness as if we don't have other things that define us besides pain, struggle, trauma, um, drugs, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. All of these things. And so that's my issue with the band. Okay. Yeah. Like the, the musical references don't make no, no sense to me. And the terminology and the name of it with the imagery they choose chose doesn't make sense. But why, why is this the only part of blackness that's being represented in this exhibit? Especially yeah. if, you know, they, they want to celebrate the achievements of black people and black culture I mean, you could talk about hip hop even, but 
it didn't have to start here. And no. I don't think even starting here is an accurate representation of what black music has achieved. Mm -hmm. I also want to say that everything you said about the bando, I think for me, this is KJ Kearney speaking, also applies to High on the Hog. I felt like, and I'm not going to spoil the future episodes because at the time of this recording, you have not heard, you've seen the rest of the episodes. I've seen them all. I've seen a couple of them twice, actually, just to make sure that my opinion was rooted in fact and not what I think was happening. Is that I felt that overall, high on the hog, first of all, the phrase high on the hog is a celebratory phrase, right? To live high on the hog means that you are doing really good. You feel me? And so... For your for you to name a documentary high on the hog in celebration of the achievements of black cuisine or how black cuisine has influenced American cuisine, and for you to spend like 90% of every episode trying to make me cry, I don't appreciate that. Right? Like I feel like there are other ways to show that we have made contributions to. The landscape of America, in this sense, is cuisine, but it could be anything else, right? We can show our contributions and we can celebrate our contributions without having to revert to trauma porn, bro. Like, I mean, that's the, that's, and maybe I'm not using the phrase correctly, but that's the phrase that comes to mind when I watched it was trauma porn. And so whether it's that or this bando thing or any other thing that wants to quote unquote highlight the excellence of blackness but spend the majority of their time using pain and suffering as, let's be frank, the trope that is used to describe said excellence, I'm over that. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of, I think I'm I'm, I'm kind of on some Afrofuturistic wave. You know, like, I'm, I'm not anti my past because the past informs your present, which then, you know, helps you dictate your future. So I'm not above the past. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am saying is, I want to spend more time figuring out what does what does black cuisine look like 50 years from now, 100 years from now, five years from now? What business practices can we be doing? What industry within the food industry can black people say, you know what? If anybody in this country is going to make a sweet potato pie, it's coming from us, right? Like there are certain cultural groups that have decided we're going to do casinos, we're going to do nail shops. We're going to do hair shops. We're going to do this. We're going to we're going to do hotels. We're going to whatever. Pick a thing. But I would rather spend more time, more time, not not all exclusive time because we have to be able to review the past. But I would like to spend some time talking about what is blackness whether through whether, whether it's through cuisine or culture look like in the future. And so I guess that's why I was disappointed in both the bando and high on the hog. Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting point because I am definitely trying to balance this in my book and struggling with it in my research now is that it is important to start at the beginning. I believe that. I think that we can't just talk about the now if we're going to do a project like this and then just gloss over, you know, all of the other things that went into it because right. that yeah. has been historically the way that we've written about American food. I mean, if you look at how like Southern food has been allowed to be defined as this thing, which is, it's almost like the, the Black contributions to that as the foundation were just erased, right? It, it's almost as if we just didn't want to look at the hard parts, the uncomfortable parts, 
And so I do think we have to start at the beginning. I do think that a lot of our history has been defined by struggle, but I wouldn't say that that is the only thing that defines us or defines our food. And I still have to watch the rest of the episodes, but at least in my work, I'm still struggling with like making sure I'm reading the relevant literature about how black bodies and seeds and crops were transported to the Americas from Africa. I want to make sure that I fully understand how American capitalism developed and how it was so intrinsically tied to exploitation and tied to enslavement, right? How we modernized using Black bodies as fuel. But then what happened after that? And that the what happened after or what came from that, I think is just as important as that foundational part of the story. And so I don't know. It remains to be seen what kinds of projects in the future we'll see on a broader scale, right? This is really a groundbreaking project, High on the Hog. I'm so happy it got moved. I hope everyone watches it. But I also still am hungry for more. And maybe that's just our energetic youth. Like, I'm like, great, we have High on the Hog. Where's the Black Taste the Nation? Yeah, man. There is, um, you know, where's the Black Barbecue series? There should be multiples of those, given how yeah. central barbecue is to, you know, American cuisine and how we think of our cuisine and how we would define it. I think broadly Americans would say that we, barbecue is, is our thing. We love it. We do it. We, well, okay. Black people help make that too. Uh, <laughs> where's our Black Barbecue series? Multiples of them. You know, where are all of these projects that can delve into our history, but also our future into the pain and the like incredible things that we have overcome as a people to survive here. Mm -hmm. If you just look at the mortality rates on particularly sugar, but cotton plantations as well for black people to exist in America is a fucking miracle. Mm -hmm. But I want to know what, other stories can add to that picture as well. There's there's two sides to this, okay? Number one, there is, yes, we do need more of those types of projects. But number two, and this is the part that needs to be, well, that I feel needs to be said out loud, is that Black people can only sell to white people who are willing to buy, Right. Black people are not the buyers, by and large. They're not the buyers of content at your NBC, ABC, CNN, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, so forth and so on. White people are very much comfortable telling stories of Black pain and trauma. They can sell that. They're comfortable with that. They're not, they haven't shown yet from a content standpoint that they are comfortable buying content that doesn't center black trauma, no matter what the industry is, right? No matter what it is, they haven't now because I this is how this is how we get so many black pain movies. Yes. And some of them are phenomenal, right? Like phenomenal filmmaking, but yes. they're still black pain movies. Right. And you gotta sell to the person who's doing the buying and that's why so when people say representation matters i think the low-hanging fruit is we need more black people on tv yes we do but we also need more black tv and movie executives 
because those are the people who are making the decisions about what shows up on your Netflix, on your Hulu, on your Prime, insert network, insert company, right? Those people make the decision about what stories get told. Because I refuse to believe that no black person has pitched these different show ideas that you're talking about. Shoot, I got 10 of them in my own head right now. I like somebody give me a check. We can make I can make five TV shows right now. I'm gonna say it right now to anyone listening. KJ and I should co-host a Taste the Nation-esque American-centric black food travel show that focuses on the here and now with a sprinkling of history. But I I this is the part about representation. Representation matters, especially in media. I know we believe that. But representation, as far as a sprinkling of shows, a sprinkling of movies, you know, it's not enough. It's not enough to hire a couple Black people at your company. Are those Black people in positions of power? Are they empowered? Can they not only make decisions independently, but can they tell you and all of the other white people on their team comfortably when they think something is not going to work or is not appropriate? Mm -hmm. And will Mm -hmm. you listen when that happens? We've talked about this in other episodes, right? Like putting all of this training into practice, it's so complicated and so nuanced. And we saw in 2020, this quote unquote reckoning in the media space about uh, the treatment of not only black people, but marginalized peoples in general and marginalized voices. But then we had the reply all podcast drama and now we're having the willows in drama. And, you know, we are seeing these stories repeat themselves in media, in restaurants. And it really comes down to, it's really hard to put uh, to diversity and inclusion seminars into practice when your entire life has been actual training about why that's not what you should be doing because we're still surrounded by messages from our society and from our media about how white supremacy is the norm. Mm. You know, something you said earlier that really resonated with me is the idea that we, Black people, deserve to have silly television shows silly movies, crappy movies, crappy TV shows, right? We deserve everything that, and that's another, I think that adds to the whole rooting for everyone black, right? Is because anything black that does get the level of treatment that a high on the hog gets, right? Like it, it feels like it has to be seminal work. It has to be groundbreaking territory never been seen tread upon you're like it feels like because we only get one or two shots a year at making those things meanwhile adam sandler gets to make movies about uh a a dude in louisiana who likes water and ends up becoming a football star a vampire that is socially awkward you know what I'm saying? A, 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 a reunion with his friends at the old campgrounds. Right? Like, he gets he gets to do all these things. And listen, Adam Sandler is who I would like to be from a media standpoint. Because Adam Sandler gets to make whatever. He also made Hidden Gems, which was, which was a spectacular movie. So he gets to be the water boy and do spectacular gems. What black person do we know that ha- Kevin Hart is trying to move into that territory where Don't he can do. S- but listen, though, I'm not <laughs> saying that. I- See, Kevin Hart's not everybody's cup of tea, and that's fair. But how many actors besides, let's see, 
Denzel Washington, Lawrence Fishburne, maybe Chris Rock. Like how many black actors get to be both funny and silly slash silly, but then also serious. Like here's the deal. This is when I know that America has really come full circle. Everybody's like, oh, we, you know, we need a black James Bond. We need a black Superman. Okay, fine. You really want to impress me, white America? Let me have my black supervillain. That's when I'll know that America has really turned the corner. They will never let a black person. Call me Black Panther. Nah, bruh. That don't count. Because they were, <laughs> because listen, they were black people fighting each other, right? Like that's different. Again, that's a that's a story that white people are very comfortable with. Black people fighting each other. We're cool. And in a whole nother country. This happened in Africa, theoretical Africa, right? <laughs> so two black people fighting each other in their own theoretical country, no problem. You guys have at it. Where's my black Lex Luthor? Where's my where's my black Joker? First of all, can anyone answer for me? Where do these supervillains get all this money? Like they have henchmen and hideouts and weapons and vehicles and power on high. They like buy off police officers and detectives. How 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 do they get rockets and all that stuff? Anyway, the fact is we don't know. We've never thought about it because all our supervillains have been white dudes, right? Give me a black man with Lex Luthor smarts slash money, and I'll show you an America that is ready to turn over the racial leaf. But until we can get someone, a black person who can be evil for the sake of evil, until that happens, whatever, whatever. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not convinced America's ready. I mean, I will say that we've seen the needle move a little bit. We have Shondaland. We have Issa Rae. We have Black representation of people who are just allowed to be Black and just live their lives. And I occasionally, occasionally will watch something with my husband. He's like, why do you want to watch this? This doesn't seem like your type of thing. And I'm like, honestly, it just has Black main characters where it seems like their Blackness is not central to the story. Like, they're just Black <laughs> and then they like, like fall in love and have like sex. Atlanta. Yeah. Um, but they're still pretty rare, right? They're still pretty rare. Mm -hmm. And I, even in food writing and food media, a lot of it right now is focused on kind of these historical deep dives, right? About Juneteenth, about, you know, the history that's covered in the book, High on the Hog. That's all really important and amazing. But I still don't feel like, and I think you said it best, like we're allowed to take space in the food space unless like our blackness is part of this central narrative and it's like our seminal work. <laughs> um, and I would love to see it. I would love to see just like, why can't we just have projects that are not so great? Yes, exactly. Mediocrity, surviving mediocrity and still continuing to be successful in your field is not a privilege that's often granted to marginalized peoples in general. Um, there was a TikTok trend. <laughs> there was a, a video that went viral and then she made the sound into a, a sound that, so you can reuse it in your stories. And it was literally like, I want to see Black women or I think Black people go viral for literally standing around doing nothing. And the subtext is that because we see other people go viral for that all the time. Yes. Um, not for performing, not for educating people, not for being the sassy Black person who has to talk to you about all of the ways you've messed up in the past, but just for standing around and doing nothing. Because I do all the time on my feed come across people who that is 
you know, that has been their experience. But we are not in a place where we are allowed to be mediocre and still, I think, pursue our passions. Again, I mean, I'm going to be the guy that keeps saying it. As I've gotten older, I have less concern in this area. But again, black people can't go viral for literally doing nothing because white people aren't comfortable seeing black people go viral for doing literally nothing. There are 330 million people in America. Black people make up like 13%. So there is that, I mean, there is a black Twitter, right? Because there isn't, there is a world in the social media realm where it's just like mostly black people doing your thing, but to get mainstream adoption, that means it has to cross over from just popular for black people to popular for everyone. And I don't know if white people are ready. I mean, listen, white people listen and prove me wrong. You know, I'll make a video right now of me just doing nothing and let's see if we can get a hundred thousand likes. <laughs> I believe in you, white people. You can do it. You can help make me viral for doing absolutely nothing. I mean or or supervillain. I'll be a supervillain, maybe. I just want to see Black Bane. That's been my thing for a long time. Is I think Black Bane, Bane was the perfect villain. He was incredibly smart, um, yes. right, and, and really tough, but also uh, had his own kind of code, even if we didn't agree with it. And I would yeah. love to see uh, us get to a place where, like you said, we don't have to have a Black James Bond, but we could have a Black Bane who is maybe in a fictional place, but it's just like raining terror upon society, which includes white uh, people. Yes. And, and not have it even really be about the fact that he's black. Like just he's just a villain who just Ooh, no, 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 no. I want my super villain to also prickle white fragility, right? <laughs> I want I, no no listen, this is what I want. This is just my thing, okay? I want black bane because remember he said in the movie, he was like you uh you he told Batman that like you uh you adopted the darkness. I was born into it. Bruh, the layers. Imagine if a black person said that. That's that's a double entendre. Like, cause he was literally born in the darkness in that big old hole, right? But then also being black is a level of darkness. There's a cloud that can hang over that, a stigma, uh, a, a level of danger, if you will. That goes along with that. Me personally, I don't want my black supervillain to be a supervillain who happens to be black. I want blackness to be a part of it because use all your thug tropes, right? I want all the because then I want to see the supervillain react to both being evil and having people be racist towards him or her. Oh God, it would be so good if it was a black woman. Could you imagine a black woman being that's just like destroying cities and like has a billion dollars in the bank like i i can't even oh i'm excited just thinking about it. i need some water hold on you go ahead and talk because i'm parched i'm getting excited well what i was gonna say is on that tangent i think it is time to wrap this episode up kj and i these are the types of things that we talk about in whatsapp and in our dms because we're always always somehow into some topic that is all at once about food and about everything else. 
So as usual, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. And this one, I bet we will get quite a load of commentary about. But more than anything, I hope you had a chance to sit down with us and fix yourself a plate. Oh, and please leave us a rating. Leave us Thank a, you. Leave us a rating. Leave us a rating. It is really important. <laughs> we have incredible listeners. And if you have already, we deeply appreciate you. But if you haven't, go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating. Write a few sentences, put some put some context in there. Help other people find the show. KJ and I are really committed to having conversations that we think are important, but we're also not hearing anywhere else. So thank you so much. 